Welcome back to the Rural Roundup, hosted by me, Kerry Hammond. This show is produced in association with the Scottish Government. On today's show, I'm joined by George and we're going to chat all about the Fast Connect conference. Hey George, how are you? I'm fine, Kerry. How are you? I'm good. It feels awfully lonely in here today without Robert and Tiffany. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll manage. I'm looking forward to getting a, a catch up with you. How are How are things up the road with you? Yeah, we're quite busy up here. Um, we're trying to get to the back of um, PSF claims. Um, it uh, seems to be getting quite a good uptake. A lot of people claiming soils. Um, there's some carbon audits to claim and there's more and more people seem to be interested in the animal health options as well so um, but of course as always things get left to near deadline day and um, yeah it's about a wee bit of a mad scramble to gather, gather paperwork and that but we're getting there we're getting there um, yeah and, and a lot of people are now casting their eyes towards next harvest and in, in IAX forms uh, we're seeing a lot of people into the office now planning out cropping. Um, do they need set aside? Um, how much set aside are they going to need? Uh, and we're also getting a few inquiries because we've had this wet winter and because it seems to be disrupting uh, cropping plans throughout the UK. Um, spring barley seed seems to be being clawed up. And, and in fact, all spring seed seems to be having an issue. Um People are being asked whether they they want to grow their normal varieties. There's there's some different varieties being made available, uh, and of course, price of seed is, is seems to be climbing as well. Uh, so there's a a lot of thinking being done, um, but people also need to bear in mind their end markets and that as well when they're uh, when they're being offered a, when they're being offered a, a different variety. They've got to think they've got to be able to sell it. So it's uh, yeah, it's 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 busy. I've been uh, really busy at the moment. I'm busy on two main projects. So uh, I I spend so much time producing uh, podcasts for the Farm Advisory Service. So whether I'm uh, jumping from an agribusiness news audio podcast or joining you here on the Rural Roundup, um, I've been working on a couple of really interesting episodes for Stock Talk and Thrill of the Hill. Uh, we've got a new episode out there uh, from the Ayrshire Rivers Trust. Uh, and yeah, things are always busy when it comes to FAS podcasts. And I've also been working on uh, carbon literacy training. So we've been rolling out an awful lot of training, looking at upskilling people, both in our own organization, but also uh, out with in all rural industries and rural businesses, looking at making sure everybody has all the information they need to make the best possible decisions they can when it comes to reducing their carbon emissions. So, so what exactly is carbon literacy? Yeah, it's a really good question, George. Ultimately, carbon literacy is about ensuring that we all speak the same language. So we don't have, you know, jargon or scientific terminology being thrown about without people really, truly understanding what it means, what the impacts of it are. And ultimately, it's about understanding the things that really matter. So it's about the actions that are going to make the most difference. 
You've obviously, with your um, when you're not podcasting, you have got a role um, in the food and drink team. Um, what are you seeing? Obviously, I see farmers day to day. You're dealing with food companies, food and drink companies. What's their view on carbon? Yeah, that's a great question, George. And I think it definitely depends on what size of business we're talking about and also what uh, what they're doing, whether they're in, you know, production, logistics, retail and, you know, consumer end of the market. I think it's fair to say the general consensus is that we all know that we need to be doing more to reduce carbon emissions. For food and drink businesses, a lot of them are now, you know, quite openly talking about their ESG strategies which is environmental, social, and governance. So it's about doing the best possible thing in all three of those areas to make sure that their impact on the planet and their people is still a positive impact for their profit. There's um, upstream and downstream considerations for food and drink businesses, particularly when it comes to carbon emissions. So, you know, we do see particularly food and drink businesses that are in production who are buying raw materials particularly from farmers who then go on to produce a a second stage product when they then go on to sell it to say for example a big retailer I won't name them but we can all probably Mm -hmm. guess them those producers are then under pressure for their own carbon footprint if you like to be smaller so that the overall carbon footprint, again, if you like, of the supermarket is smaller. So it really is sort of being pushed right down the chain. Yeah. How do, how do the view, obviously the farm's got a big role to play in this. How do you think the food sector views the farmers at the moment? Is it sort of partners or is it they, they, maybe more than that? I mean, absolutely strategic partners without without a shadow of a doubt. It's not just a supply chain. I think that, um, in my opinion, certainly, I think things have moved on an awful lot in a positive step forward where food and drink businesses, I mean, essentially the, you know, food and drink businesses, particularly in production, are probably, you know, would view a lot of our farmers as being food and drink producers. So, you know, they're not, you know, there's not an us and them mentality no. at all. It is absolutely no. hand in glove. Yeah, we're all, we're all in this together. Absolutely. Um, Kerry, I was at a conference uh, last week and carbon was very much at the forefront and also what uh, uh, farmer and landowners, uh, their role um, in the whole carbon and sustainability discussion um, I was at the Faz Connect conference. It was at Murrayfield. Um, there was a almost two hundred farmers at it. Uh, there was a. It was quite a vibrant audience. To be quite honest with you, the 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 people in the audience, um, they were there for more than just a dinner. They were um, asking, I suppose, quite quite difficult questions at times. So they were they were fully engaged. Um, I, I suppose, had the had the honour of speaking at it. And uh, it was, yeah, it was a it was a, a good day out. For anyone listening who's maybe not familiar with Faz Connect or hasn't heard the term Faz Connect, the the concept is 
it's basically about bringing together groups of farmers or crofters who have sort of similar ideas or projects or ideologies or struggles or opportunities or issues that they want to work on together. Is that right? That's right. There are, I think it's about 45 Faz Connect groups. Okay, there's a number of different groups throughout the country. Um, I mean, I've got an arable group. I've got a, a beef sucker beef group. Um, there are groups more focused on sheep and more focused on sustainability. And so it, there's a, a number of different groups throughout the country. Um, they are heart back probably to the old discussion group model. It's a small, uh, maybe 12, 15, maybe 18 in a group. Um, they meet maybe three, four times a year. And these meetings can be absolutely anything. They can be a, a meeting in a hotel um, with a speaker, or they could be on a farm, or they could be somewhere else. They could be uh, somewhere out, out with farming. Um, it gets farmers together. There, there's no doubt there is a social aspect to it. However, um, by pulling the farmers together in this uh, smaller group, they, they tend to open up a wee bit more, um, discuss the the challenges, the, the fears, the um, their hopes, their um, what they're trying to discuss, what they're trying to do on their farms, and they they ask their peers for their opinion and and support. Really, um, have they tried this? Have they tried that? And uh, it's good. It's it's a good good atmosphere. It's uh, it's a good way of doing things. Um, the difference between that and a, a large open meeting, some of the quiet people will um, they'll disappear in a big open meeting. If there's 40, 50 people at a big meeting, they won't speak up. They won't get their point across. They won't ask that question. Uh, in the small group where they are with reasonably familiar people, they're more inclined to speak up and, and learn more themselves. So the, the Faz Connect conference last week at Murrayfield, that was the, the first ever Faz Connect conference, right? It was the It was indeed, yeah. One. It was. Yeah. So that brought together those sort of 45 FAS Connect groups into one place. So all of those sort of individual groups that have been meeting throughout, you know, the last year or so, they all find themselves together in Murrayfield Stadium for the day. Yeah. What was what was on the agenda? What happened? Um, well, there was three main topics. It, it was a slightly different setup and it, and, and it worked fine on the day. Um, there was a, a panel discussing the global outlook. Um, there was a panel discussing time and technology, and there was a panel also speaking about carbon and sustainability. Um, so yeah, it was three topics that are, I suppose, very important in this day and age, and um, it, everything seemed to be well received. It was, it, it was like I said, it was a, a a good a good day out, and I think. Yeah, everybody would have taken something from it. Those sound those um panels, the topics of them, global outlook, time and technology, and carbon and sustainability, those are probably three of the hottest topics right now for everybody in our industry. I I would ask you, George, which panel was your favourite? But I think I might know the answer to that because you've hid your light under a bushel. You were actually speaking on one of these panels, weren't you? 
I, I was, yes. Um, I was speaking in time and technology. Um, now, I was doing a bit on the... Basically, how the pig sector has um, come on leaps and bounds in the last... Essentially, last 13 years, really. Uh, that was the time frame I was looking at, from 2010 to 2023. Um, and how the pig sector has really... It's embraced technology and it's really just how the, the whole sector has come together um, and uh, the performance, the physical performance, the improvement in that physical performance has been um, transformative, really. Um, it, it's, a, it's a huge, huge uh, increase in that timescale. And that's not long. I mean, that's, uh, you know, 13 years. That's, that's, that's half, a, half a generation, half a human generation. The other panels that were there, we've got um, the Global Outlook uh, panel. Who were the speakers that were there and do you have any takeaways? Um, with Andrew Moxie, who gave a, a good overview of just, just the future challenges, really. How support will maybe change and how how the, how the farmer's role, you know, how it moved from production to playing its, playing its role more in a sustainable environment. There was also Claire Taylor. Now she spoke to us from, I think it was New Zealand. So she she called in in Zoom, updating really on, on her travels, basically. And uh, there was also uh, Dr. Jim Gibbs. He is a, a forage specialist from New Zealand. And he was uh, basically uh, describing how they've gotten on in, in New Zealand, how their industry um, moved out of subsidies, and uh, they've learned to adapt with their systems and they um, push ahead basically on forage systems. There was also time that was followed by time and technology. It was Michael Blanche uh, who gave a good um, discussion on time and what it really means for farmers. And uh, there was Vic Valentine, a farmer up in the north of Scotland and how she really uh, lives to farm as opposed to farming to live and how the work-life balance was really important to her. And I was with myself on that panel, speaking about pigs. Uh, and then it was carbon sustainability in the afternoon uh, with Fiona Burnett, her own Fiona Burnett. Um, she was discussing perhaps a, a wider plant health and sustainability and uh, as well as integrated crop production. John Gilliand was on, Professor John Gilliand was on that panel as well. Uh, he was looking at, discussing how groups of farmers in Northern Ireland had been uh, looking at carbon and how they were measuring it in their on their in their soils, and uh, how they were hoping to make improvements over time. And there was also a farmer from the borders, Stuart Mitchell, uh, who spoke about uh, some of the challenges his business had faced, how he'd overcome them, and how he was uh, facing up to the future. Sounds like a really impressive and varied lineup of speakers, all talking about things that you know they're obviously experts in not only academically speaking, but with lived experience and real experience in yeah. industry. I, um, Ironically, I didn't manage to make it to the conference because I am making a conscious effort to improve my own work-life balance. So in that vein, I'd be really keen to hear if there were any um, sort of top tips or any insights that came out of the sessions you know about time particularly with Vic or with from Michael Blanche anything that I could perhaps use in my day-to-day -day life 
I think I think it comes back to the, it, defining that work life balance. Really, it's it's um, identifying probably what's important and having having time for yourself um, rather than just being a busy fool. Yeah, that one hits home for me, George. I think I can definitely be accused of being a busy fool for the last couple of years, for sure. So we're recording this uh, a little in advance, but this episode is due to broadcast on the 14th of February. So, George, I can't possibly let you go without asking you, uh, what plans do you have for Valentine's Day? Yeah, well, um, we have an eight-year-old in the house and romantic meals and doing up the house all romantically. In a, um, they all go out the window. Um, so I suppose I push we might we might go out for our tea or something like that at some point um, over that weekend. Um, that's, that's probably going to be the stretch of it. What about you, Kerry? Well... My husband's going to be away for work, so uh, equally in an unromantic vein, I think I might light an LED tea light and uh, share my dinner with my sausage dog. I think that's that's my Valentine's Day plan. I'm sure that uh, whatever we end up doing, there will be an awful lot of local food on both of our plates. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure to spend some time with you today, George. Yeah, it's been great, Kerry. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. We'll see you back here on the 28th of February with our next episode. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.